This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions and conclusions. Please talk to your healthcare team regarding your specific situation. Welcome to the Speak Gyno podcast. My name is Nee Gutenfelder, and on this episode, I want to share my personal story because it's a driving force behind why this podcast exists. I'm a 12-year cervical cancer survivor and a two-year ovarian cancer survivor. This crazy cancer journey was a ride I never expected to go on. And one of the most common questions I get asked is, how did I find out that I had cancer? In 2007, I was 27 years old. My husband Jeff and I had been married for a couple of years. For months, I'd been having these random sharp pains in my lower abdominal pelvic area. Sometimes it would feel like a tugging pain that would last only a split second. Whenever it happened, there seemed to be a reason for it. One time it woke me up at night and I figured, hey, we were out camping and I was literally sleeping on rocks. Another time I attributed to lifting something that was too heavy. Eventually though, it bothered me enough for me to go see my primary care doctor who offered to give me pain pills, but I didn't want that. By the time I take the pill, the pain would have been gone. No exam was done. I was told that I was young and healthy and it was probably due to stress and I just needed to keep a log of when it happened. I left that doctor's appointment telling myself the doctor said that I was fine, so I should be, but another part of me felt like something just isn't right. I just didn't know what. Around that time, my sister got diagnosed with breast cancer and reminded us to get our checkups. I decided to see a new gynecologist And in hindsight, I felt like that worked in my favor because my new doctor was thorough reviewing my history and paperwork as a new patient. It was from this initial visit that I received my first abnormal pap smear. Now, abnormal pap smear typically doesn't lead straight to cancer, but for whatever reason, mine did, even though my previous well woman exam the prior year was normal. I was scheduled for a colposcopy and a biopsy where additional cells were taken for further testing. A few days after that, I received the news from my doctor that I indeed had cervical cancer. She was able to get me in to see a gynecologic oncologist the very next morning. Prior to this, I was rarely sick. I'd never seen a specialist and didn't know really what to expect. But on this appointment, he did an exam and took a second biopsy because the results from my first biopsy weren't 100% clear and presented us, my husband and I, with a couple of options. I could either do a radical hysterectomy or do chemo and radiation, and the choice was ours as, as the cure rate was the same with both options. Jeff and I decided to go with surgery because we felt like it's a good thing that surgery was an option, plus I wanted the cancer out of me as soon as possible. Shortly after surgery, my surgeon, who was also my oncologist, delivered the news that the cancer had spread to my lymph nodes, so I would need further treatment. I remember crying at the time because I was hopeful that all I needed was surgery, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. After recovering, I completed five rounds of cisplatin chemotherapy, 25 treatments of external pelvic radiation, and two treatments of internal radiation, also known as brachytherapy. When you're in treatment, things are happening so fast. It's going from one appointment to the next, the next scan, the next treatment. But it's not until treatment is over that you really have time to process 
and start living with the long-term side effects. On the outside, I never looked sick. The chemo that I was on didn't cause me to lose my hair. In particular, when you're finished with treatment, a lot of times people have a tendency to think you're back to normal and life continues where you left off. But that couldn't be further from the truth. On one hand, I had beaten cancer. Yet on the other hand, I was now in my 20s and in early menopause because radiation had fried my ovaries. It also caused me to ho have an overactive bladder, which I take medication for. Then there was also the fear of getting a recurrence. Every day, I wondered if that was the day that I would have a recurrence. I felt like cancer snuck up on me the first time, so it could happen again. Some people thought that I worried too much, and it seemed crazy that every time I had an ache or pain or cough, cancer would pop into my mind. The logical, pragmatic side of me knew that some of those thoughts were ridiculous, but sometimes my imagination would get the best of me. I really didn't know anyone my age who had gone through what I did, and as far as I know, I couldn't find any local support groups for cervical cancer, despite a lot of talk about the HPV vaccine. So I reached out to an ovarian group. I realized that although the type of gynecologic cancer was different, there were far more similarities. Over time, my fear subsided, where I'd almost forget what I had been through or even that I had cancer until there was a reminder, such as someone asking if I have children. I would joke that we have two dogs, but it wouldn't stop there. They would continue to inquire, well, why don't I have kids? And so sometimes I would tell them, I can't have any kids. And they would say things like, that is such a shame, as if that's supposed to make me feel better. A lot of people have no idea how their inquisitions can be painful triggers, especially for young survivors. Believe me, I was ready to move on with my life and beyond cancer, but it seemed like I couldn't fully escape it. My sister had breast cancer at age 33. My dad had skin cancer in his ear, and my mom had breast cancer. I also had an aunt who passed away from her three-year battle with breast cancer in 2016. I learned that I have relatives in other countries with various types of cancers, yet no one really wanted to talk about it. I wanted to find out more so that I could take action and be proactive, so I decided to do genetic testing. My results came back that I had two gene mutations of unknown significance. There was nothing to worry about. If and when there are updates to the genetic database, I would be notified. So fast forward to October of 2017. Over a period of about six months, I gained about five pounds, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot for me. And I figured, hey, it's because I'm in menopause. What I didn't realize at the time was I had been in menopause for over 10 years. Why the weight gain now? I also noticed the daily Vesicare for my bladder didn't seem to be as effective. I was needing to go to the bathroom more often and thought it was due to weaker pelvic muscles because that has happened in the past. When I spoke to my gynecologist about it, she referred me to pelvic floor rehab and to stretch out my vagina because my exams were always painful. Aside from what I had considered minor medical issues, life was great. Jeff and I had decided to change our diet to go vegan for a healthier lifestyle. It was at a conference when my oncologist called to inform me there was an update in my genetics. One of my mutations has been reclassified and linked to a higher risk of breast cancer, so I essentially have the BRCA BRCA gene and was to go in the following week to discuss increased surveillance. Two days after that conversation, I was at another conference where I was so hungry and I gave in to eating a turkey sandwich. My stomach was in painful knots and I was so incredibly nauseous, I couldn't hold anything in. 
I remember texting Jeff that we really had to go and he raced us home where I had diarrhea and vomiting for almost five hours. No medication helped. I thought that meat sandwich really did a number on me because now I have food poisoning. It wasn't until I noticed blood in my stool that we went to the ER. After doing blood work, urine tests, x-ray, came back that I had colitis, but everything else was normal. In fact, just a couple months prior to this, I had completed my annual checkups, my well woman exam, and everything was normal from that. So then they did a CT scan, which revealed my cervical cancer was back and metastasized in my omentum. So basically my original cancer had spread in my abdominal area where there were several masses. I was admitted in the hospital where the staff worked really hard to get my pain and nausea under control. And while I was there, they did a needle biopsy and I scheduled a consult with my gynecologic oncologist. The biopsy came back that I had metastatic cervical cancer, but my oncologist looked concerned because my cancer isn't supposed to come back after all these years. My CA125 tumor marker was at 972. Normal range is less than 35 and the pathologist could not rule out that it wasn't ovarian cancer. Surgery wasn't an option. There wouldn't be much to gain with higher risks. I would start both Taxol and Carboplatin chemotherapy every three weeks. He couldn't tell me how many rounds I'd have, only that I'll be in it for the long haul, starting treatment the following week. I never made it to the following week. Two days after that appointment, I was back in the ER. My stomach continued to swell and I was constipated. I felt like I had a medicine ball in me and there was no position that was comfortable. The pain, unbearable. This time my bowels were paralyzed. I didn't even know such a thing could happen. In addition to seeing my oncologist, I was also under the care of a GI and palliative care doctor. Fluid was drained from my abdomen and a port was put in right away so I could start chemo at the hospital. I quickly learned that I despised the NG tube that was stuck down my nose to my stomach. I was hooked up to IV nutrition, given laxatives, suppositories, and enemas, it seemed like daily, yet I remained constipated. Things got kind of scary because I was swollen like I was six months pregnant. My legs and feet would double in size, and it was a real struggle to get up and walk, but I did manage to do that three times a day. And after about 10 days, I was happy to have one small bowel movement that turned into five days of diarrhea. After my body normalized, I was discharged, and I was told to eat mainly meat and carbs because I needed the calories. That was devastating because all I wanted to eat were fruits and vegetables. Before cancer, my normal weight is around 105 pounds. With all the swelling, I was up to 123 and in a short period of time dropped to 89 pounds. Weight gain was an uphill battle when I was nauseous all the time despite being on three to four anti-nausea meds. I remember it being around the Thanksgiving holiday. I wasn't out of the hospital too long before I had to go back because I again developed abdominal pain and constipation. This time, the CT scan showed that a tumor was wrapped around my sigmoid colon and caused a blockage. I needed to have emergency surgery to have a colostomy or to go home on hospice. Prior to that, I had never even heard of the term colostomy, and I learned that it's an opening in the abdomen, and I learned that it's an opening in the intestines to allow waste to come out because nothing was getting past my colon. The decision to have that surgery was a no-brainer. During that surgery, a second golf ball size biopsy was taken, confirming I had stage 3 high-grade serous ovarian cancer or primary peritoneal cancer. 
I was so grateful that the chemo that I had started is the same treatment regardless of whether it was ovarian or metastatic cervical cancer. After three rounds of chemo, my oncologist added a third drug called Avastin to my regimen. I was apprehensive about starting Avastin because the biggest side effect is bowel perforation and that would have been catastrophic. So every time I had an episode of stomach pain, I wondered if I had a hole in my stomach. But fortunately, that didn't happen. I've done really, really well with treatment. After completing six rounds of chemo, the tumor shrunk and my CA125 tumor marker was down to eight. So surgery was back in the picture. So last May of 2018, I had my major debulking surgery where all the cancerous tissue was removed, including my ovaries, omentum, part of the abdominal wall, and eight inches of colon. After recovering, I completed four more chemotherapy treatments. Then there was an opportunity to do a colostomy reversal, which I did last October. I'm well recovered from that with a much better quality of life. Today, I'm on an oral PARP inhibitor called Elaprib that I take twice a day. It's much more tolerable than IV chemo, but I'm not going to lie. In the beginning, I wasn't fond of the idea and worried about potential long-term side effects. But having been on the drug for several months, I'm very grateful to be on the PARP inhibitor Elaprib because it makes me feel proactive. The biggest thing that keeps me going is a sense of humor and hope from those around me and my medical team who has never given up on me. There's no doubt that I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my amazing medical team and my phenomenal support system. If you asked me a year ago if I would be where I am today, I would not have a single clue. I was simply taking things one moment at a time. You really have to hang in there and push through the really dark days to see the bright days ahead. It's important for me to share my story because there may be nuggets of information that may help someone else through their journey. I also want everyone to know that early detection does make a difference because no one deserves to go through what I went through. Cervical cancer can be caught early with routine pap smears. It is what detected my cancer. There's a common misconception among women that when we go in for our annual well woman exam, it checks for all things gynecological. It does not. There's currently no screening for ovarian cancer, so it is crucial to listen to your body for signs and symptoms. That may include bloating, urinary frequency or urgency, pelvic or abdominal pain, difficulty eating or feeling full quickly. Some people also report back pain, pain with intercourse, or gastrointestinal upset. These symptoms can be linked to any number of ailments, so it's critical to listen to your body and be your own advocate. I'm excited to share other survivor stories in future podcasts. If you're going through a difficult time, please know that you aren't alone and there is a huge community who supports you. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out our website at speakgyno.org for further information, and we appreciate you sharing our podcast with others you think would benefit. May we empower you, inspire you, and spark conversations.